Hello and welcome to PathPod. I'm Dr. Mike Arnold of Children's Hospital Colorado and this is the PathPod Quiz Show. Our quiz show hosts are Dr. Sarah Jang of Duke Health. She's on Twitter at S-A-R-A underscore J-I-A-N-G and Dr. Christina Arnold of the University of Colorado. She's on Twitter at C-Arnold underscore G-I. Now here's your hosts, Sarah and Christina. Hello and welcome everybody to our next PathPod quiz show. We are so excited to be here today. I'm your co-host, Sarah Jang. I'm a pathologist at Duke Health and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Christina Arnold. Hey y'all. And we are really, really excited to have three wonderful guests today. Our medical student contestant is Adil Menon, who's an MS4 at Case Western. For our resident contestant, we have Dr. Sarah Gloglowski, a resident at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas. And our pathologist guest is Dr. Ann Herdman, who is a pathologist in private practice in Oklahoma. Welcome, everybody. How's everyone doing this week? Doing all right. Living the dream. Living the dream. That's my standard <laughs> response, too, to people. Me too. Yeah. And sometimes I really actually do feel like I'm living the dream. I'm Very. in a nightmare, folks. I'm in a nightmare. <laughs> that was really dark. That was it's a really dark way to start off the show. Thank you. I feel like it has been kind of a little bit surreal. Like, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, ah, another glorious day. And then I remember that it's 2020 and uh, yes. coronavirus yeah. is still a thing. And I used time. to say it's been even years were my favorite years in you know, 2018. But I have to say, I think I'm going to start going pulling for odd years mm. 2021. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I, I guess I never really thought about it. Mm, yeah, that's well, what we do here at PathPod. We just try to really make you guys think of the important issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like okay. I should be odd just because I am an odd person. <laughs> but I think we're looking at every pathologist uh, here having a window. And I, we know Sarah has a very oh, nice yeah. window too. So oh, for yeah. all of y'all who think that pathologist only exists in the basement, it's not happening today. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I've got beautiful windows in my office. Yes. I'm actually recording from home where I have a beautiful view of a tree. It cuts out. It's because my kids are streaming Disney Plus again. And, uh, <laughs> Let's do Hamilton together. Yeah. <laughs> On the count right. of three. What? Wait, what are we doing? <laughs> On the count of three. Let's sing Hamilton, our favorite oh, song. Yes. Speak, uh, like all, song? So all of us will sing our different favorite songs. <laughs> everyone. We have our special guest, Adel Menon, MS4 Case Western. Welcome, Adel. How are you? I'm good. I'm really happy to be here. Tell us about yourself. Sure. I've lived in Cleveland most of my life, but I was born in uh, New York City when my parents were in residency, so I was a residency baby. My interest in pathology, I think, like many people have said, is a lot about uh, mentorship, although in my case, it was that our school's pathology interest group needed another leader, and I was emailing our main pathology professor about something else. And then two days later, I get an email being like, congratulations, you're the new pathology interest group leader. And then being me, I'm like, okay, this is an unexpected surprise, but now I just got to be the best at it. So then I just got really invested in uh, pathology and just trying to be as vocal and proactive about it as I could. And then as I thought about it, I realized that at every stage of my 
career up to that point from pre-med onwards, it had always really been pathologists who were supporting me. So like in retrospect, I realized, like, okay, this is the natural thing I was supposed to do, but I definitely got thrown in the pool head first initially. We've talked about this before, that mentorship is so important, and it's a great message for our medical student listeners out there to pay attention to who's around you, who do you want to be like, who do you enjoy spending time with. That could be clues to the specialty you pick, but it's also a great reminder for those of us who are mentors to students that it only takes a few minutes to really have a, a potentially very powerful effect on someone else's life in terms of helping guide them into their field. It's really a profound honor and privilege. We're very busy, but to always make time to help out that next generation of leaders. What did your parents specialize in? Well, my mom is a family medicine physician and my dad is a cardiologist. And let's say you couldn't be in medicine at all. What would you pick? So I'd probably do what my high school teachers thought I would do, which is become a high school history teacher and just hang out with them forever. Wow. Yeah. All my high school teachers are really surprised about the shift to medicine. They just assumed I'd go into education. Oh, tell us about your favorite time in history. I really like East Asian history, so I really enjoy both the Sengoku period in Japan and then the Three Kingdoms period in China, which I know are very, like, you know, stereotypical times of people who enjoy the history of that region, but I think are really fascinating just because from the fracturing of those countries, you get so many different characters and philosophies and ideas. I feel like you just proved your history by credentials because I would have never even imagined that there was a stereotypical favorite yes. historical time of, of any of the East Asian countries. In today's medical student quiz show segment, I will read you five board style questions with answer choices. Provide the correct answer and you win a point. Win enough points and you win a prize PathPod Clear Ruler. Ready to play? Yep. The theme is genetic disorders. Here's your question. Which of the following genetic disorders is autosomal recessive? A, cystic fibrosis. B, Huntington disease. C, neurofibromatosis. D, myotonic dystrophy. Uh, CF. Correct. So cystic fibrosis is recessive, and the other three are autosomal dominant. Bonus question. Are you ready for it? Mendelian disorders are mutations in single genes that have large downstream effects. Which are more common in Mendelian genetic disorders? Autosomal dominant or autosomal recessive? Autosomal recessive. And you got it. So you are two for two. All right. Question number two. Are you ready? This is a good one. Okay. Identify this disorder. Here are your clues. This disorder is due to mutations in genes that result in reduced or defective collagen. Patients have hyperextensible skin, hypermobile joints, and can have vascular defects. It's thought that most contortionists have this genetic disorder. Heather's Danlos. Oh, I knew it. I knew you didn't need the choices. I could see you. I could see you like watching the answer. Oh, man. Very you good. You're on fire. On fire. On fire. I have another one for you, sir. We are on three points. Identify this disorder. This disorder is autosomal dominant and has a missense mutation in fibrillin 1 a major component of microfibrils in the extracellular matrix. 
These fibrils are widely distributed in the body, but they are particularly abundant in the aorta, the ciliary zonules that support the lens of the eye, and ligaments. Affected patients are exceptionally tall with cardiovascular defects, outward and upward subluxation of the lens, and lax joint segments. Marfans. Oh my gosh, Marfans for one. I think this is great that you're you're yelling out the answer before you even get multiple choice because I think that's going to make you a great pathologist, right? Unfortunately, with the exception of taking the boards, as a pathologist, I don't get with my requisition a little sheet of paper with like, check the answer, right? Dr. Herman, you don't get that in your practice, right? You, it, the requisitions don't come with multiple choices. Unfortunately, I do not. What is the most common lethal complication of Marfan disease? A is basal ganglia infarction, B is aortic dissection, C is hereditary gastric adenocarcinoma. D is pulmonary embolism. Okay, so it was aortic dissection. Ah, uh, you know it, you know it. All right, so defects in fibrillin one will weaken the medial support of the aorta and lead to aortic incompetence and intimal tears that can predispose to aortic dissections. This serves as a cause of death for up to 45% of such patients. Mitral valve prolapse is actually more common, but the question was about the cause of death. They're type A dissections because they include the root as opposed to type B. You so are completely over my head. The last question here. What is the buzzword pathologic term for weakening of the medial support of the aorta that occurs in Marfan syndrome? A. I was going to say my dad's going to be so mad at me when I don't know this. Oh, okay. okay. You know, you're, you're going to know it. Here it comes. Here are your choices. A. Caseous necrosis. B. Necrotizing granulomata. C. Schiller Duval bodies. Or D. Cystic medial necrosis. Cystic medial necrosis. You got it, sir. You have a PathCon ruler coming your way. Tell us, please, what are you going to do next? Next, I. Well, I don't know. I'm very overwhelmed and excited. Maybe <laughs> This might be lengthy, but you know how I said that at every stage of my career, I've sort of been supported by pathologists. Yes. So actually the first one who uh, took the time to meet with me was Dr. Kumar, who dealt with Robbins. So maybe I'll just shoot him an email. It's of Chicago, and I thought I couldn't be a medical student because I was bad at stuff, apparently. So <laughs> then I just shot him an email, and he was nice. I feel like, yeah, sure, I'll meet with you for like 20 minutes and talk to you. And he's like, no, I think you're good. I'm like, okay, thank you. And I had wow. no idea what a big deal he was. Incredible. So. Wow. Would you please tell him that you aced our med student quiz show segment that was based on his book? Sure. Amazing. And I think that you should put that on your CV that Dr. Kumar himself gave you the stamp of approval even before you know you went into med medicine formally. I think that should go on your residency applications, honestly. It's in my personal statement. <laughs> Just because I'm writing about like yeah. how good people pathologists are. And so I was like, these are the people who have supported me at every stage. So. Wow. That's a sign. It's been prophesized for you to be a pathologist. And it all goes for full circle too. So yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Our next contestant is Dr. Sarah Glagowski, who is a resident at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas. You can find her on Twitter at... S-A-R-A-H underscore G-L-O-G-O-W-S-K-I. Welcome. Tell us about yourself. Well, hey, guys. Uh, happy to be here. I am now a third-year resident. That's kind of strange to say. <laughs> um, here in Dallas. And I guess I've 
I'm a Texas native, haven't quite made, made my way out of the state yet. But uh, it's a big state. Yeah, it's a great place. state to explore for sure. And uh, right now I'm starting to apply for fellowships and I'll be applying for hematopathology. Wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, I was at UT Southwestern, so we yeah. were kind of across the street. I don't even want to guess how old you were when I was there because nobody needs to guess my age. But <laughs> anyways, I love the connection. Welcome. Tell us your favorite part of being a pathologist. I think at the end of the day, I like being able to put an entire picture together. You have so many specialists who go and they see snippets, but when we do chart reviews and when we're looking at slides on the scope, like you finalize all of it most of the time. Such an important point because I think that before I went into pathology, I kind of thought like the way that some of our non-pathologist colleagues think is that pathology is kind of a black box. We read the glass. The actual practice for me, it couldn't be more different. For every case, I'm looking in the chart for the most part. I often dig up old pieces of information or clinical history that even the treating clinicians weren't aware of because I take the time to really sit there and dig through care everywhere and figure out what's going on. And I think that taking that broader view outside of just the microscope is a part of our profession that I don't think is, is really well known to people outside the field. Oh, I always like to be the student who had the answers in elementary school, so I get to still be that person now. Yeah, I think that are. probably yeah, reveals uh, my, how type A some of us are. You're currently on the College of American Pathologists, RFAC, their Residence Form Executive Committee. And yes. that was actually one of, one of the things that I did way back in, you know, when dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was a resident. Tell us a little bit more about that. So currently, I am the alternate delegate to the House of Delegates, and a lot of what we do is trying to provide the best opportunities for residents, but also pathologists across the country. And with CAP switching to a virtual format, there's been a lot of questions um, and problem solving done in that arena. And then also, uh, I am co-chair with Dr. Riddle and Dr. Guillory for a networking group where we are trying to develop a drop-down search format so that we can connect residents to faculty or just staff in areas that they'll be moving to and they can hopefully get questions about things like safe areas to live, child care, um, kind of endless possibilities, things that you can do in the area. So it's, it's hopefully going to be something that we can all utilize to connect more to each other as time continues. Yeah, I love it. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I think we've talked a lot about uh, mentoring on this podcast, and I think that kind of connection um, and mentorship is so important, especially now when we're doing so many things virtually, and it can be, I think, a really isolating experience if you're moving to somewhere new, and right. you can't be in a room with anybody, you can't have picnics with anyone, and you're doing so much of your networking through Zoom. Thank you for working on that. That's awesome. All right. Are you ready to play your very own trivia game? Sure. I feel like I have big shoes to fill here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's just remind you that the stakes that we are playing for is a limited edition PathPod ruler. The stakes really could not be higher, lower, higher, lower. Anyway. All right. My inspiration for this game is I, like everybody else in the world, has subscribed to Disney Plus to watch Hamilton on 
extra repeat. And in addition to Hamilton, they have the Nat Geo channel. And just FYI, the Disney channel is not paying me or us to say <laughs> this at all. But I've been watching a lot of animal shows, you know, with my kids. And I was thinking that there's actually a lot of animals in the world of pathology terminology as well. So in this game, each answer is going to have the name of an animal in it. And the clue, which as usual will be full of really horrible, just, you know, grown inspiring puns from me, the, there will be hints as to both the animal and the disease entity in the answer. For instance, if I said, when you are reviewing renal pathology from a patient with Fabray disease and hear hoofbeats, think of these intralysosomal inclusion bodies, also known as lamellar bodies. The answer, of course, would be a zebra body. Think when you hear hoofbeats, think, usually in pathology, we say when you hear hoofbeats, think horses, but also they can be zebras, right? Mm -hmm. And in febrile disease, of course, is an X-linked recessive lysosomal storage disorder. You get accumulation of this glycosphingolipid in various organs, including the kidneys. And if you do EM on kidneys, you see these lamellated striped bodies um, in the podocytes, and they were, are called zebra bodies. All right. So clear as mud? Sure. All right. <laughs> Here's your first question. Who's there? CMV, that's who. Rather than pertaining to the ocular pathology of a nocturnal bird of prey, this term refers to the appearance of a nucleus affected by CMV cytopathic effect. Is it just owl eyes? That's right, exactly, owl's eye, you got it, you got it. Next question. This skeletal pattern can be seen in both fashion as a type of twill weave and as a descriptor for the cellular arrangement seen in some soft tissue tumors, classically fibrosarcoma. Uh, herringbone. Yay, you got it, exactly, exactly. I was not even aware that it was a type of fashion weave until I Googled it. But yeah, it's also a way that you can lay floors um, in the pattern of the herringbone. So I feel like probably people just, I don't know, just took that term and used it for things where it's really probably not. So applicable. what is a herringbone? I think it literally means like fish bones. You know, oh, if you think about the fish and oh, there's the yeah. vertebral column and okay. then there's the little radiating spiky bones that come off of it on both sides. Um, one of the shows that we've been watching a lot on the Nat Geo channel is called Wicked Tuna. And like as a, an aside, yeah, yeah. Wicked Tuna is an mm. awesome nickname for anyone. Oh, yes. <laughs> Wicked Tuna. We are addicted. I'll say I am addicted. Meg is horrified that I'm sharing this, but I am also addicted to reality-based show. And every episode mm -hmm. is full of drama and tenseness. It's 90 Day Fiance. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> and all the spinoffs. Which is why I'm having nightmares, I'm quite sure. <laughs> Let's get back to the animal game. Next question. You won't be an alpha dog, but you'll be feeling positively feline when using this stain that is helpful in the diagnosis of fibromatosis and solid pseudopapillary neoplasm of the pancreas. Beta-catenin? Yeah, exactly, beta-catenin. All right, that's exactly right. And we have an important bonus point. What counts as a positive stain for beta-catenin in the context of diagnosing those two entities? Is it nuclear or cytoplasmic or both? 
both. The most important part is that you see nuclear staining because you can get nonspecific background cytoplasmic staining at a whole bunch of entities. So make sure those nuclei are staining. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, excellent. All right, you're doing fabulous. You are three for three so far. And we have uh, two more questions left. So next question, don't buck the trend. The term hemangioparasitoma is so passe. We call them solitary fibrous tumors in the soft tissue now. It is, however, still acceptable to use this morphologic descriptor for the vessels we see in the lesion formerly known as hemangioparasitoma. A staghorn. Yes, exactly. Staghorn vessels. Have you ever seen a stag out in real life? You, you have bucks, yeah. It's right? not That's... too uncommon to see them. I guess when I was in College Station, there were quite a few. It was always something that would stop traffic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get a lot and... of deer in my backyard here in North Carolina. That's why my vegetable garden is mostly just nubs <laughs> now. I have, very, I have strong feelings about deer right now, mostly, which are <laughs> negative. Yeah. All right, great. All right, four for four. You're so close. And this is the last question. What's better than landing a prize catch or scoring something other than coal in your stocking. Getting some props from your derm path attending. If you're able to recognize this classical immunofluorescence pattern seen in Pemphigus vulgaris. Fishnet. Exactly, yeah. exactly, the fishnet. And so the mnemonic that I, I was taught for this was that for Pemphigus vulgaris, it's the quote unquote vulgar fishnet stocking that they oh. use to teach you. Do you. Did you guys learn that one? That was the one that was taught to me. I which, wish I had known yeah, that. Yeah, see, great. the vulgar fishnet stocking for yes. Pemphigus vulgaris. I think fishnet it. stockings are totally fine and not at all vulgar. I'm wearing them today. Are you really? Yes. <laughs> Don't be yes. so great if you really were. I have two pairs on right now. <laughs> I'm just using them as a face. You're so extra. <laughs> There's, I have so many pairs on, you can't even see the netting anymore. <laughs> I might as well just wear regular hose. It's the new CDC recommendation for PPE. That's right. You know? Just That's like right. multiple layers of fishnet stocking. <laughs> That'll keep people away from you for sure, because that would be a bizarre look. People will definitely stay six <laughs> feet back, you know. Oh, Congratulations. You got five for five. Every single question, right? You did fantastic, Sarah. And that means you will be getting your very own path pod ruler in the mail. How do you feel? I'm pretty excited. Okay. Right. I, I didn't write it better than I thought that I would. That's a plus. How would you do better than perfect? I mean, yes, yes. You got every us. single one totally right. Congratulations, Dr. Glogowski. You will be getting your very own limited edition PathPod ruler, and you'll be the envy of all your friends and, and enemies. enemies. It's now time for the next segment of our game. I'd like to say welcome to Dr. Herdman. Thank you. Let me hear. I am really excited about today's faculty guest because I would say she's royalty in the Facebook moms group. Yes. We all look yes. up to her and she's just helps all of us through the trying times and we are very honored to have her with us today. <laughs> yes. yes my, one of my you. questions I had was on Facebook, I thought you were A.H. Royale. Royale, I am. And so my my 
maiden name is Herdman, and then my husband's name is Royal. And when our daughter was born, he really wanted us to share our name. So I, I added Royal onto the end okay. of Herdman oh. when, when right before Olivia was born. So. Okay, okay, good, gotcha. But I feel okay. like Royal works so well because you're mean, the meme queen, you know? I like saying. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and went to med school in Kansas City at UMKC. Residency in Augusta, Georgia, at the Medical College of Georgia, and a surge path at Emory, and GI and liver at University of Florida in Gainesville. I've been in private practice for coming up on 13 years now. I'm part of a moderate-sized group of partners here, and I'm their GI person now. Did you always Um, know you wanted to be a pathologist? Well, it was probably predetermined because my father is, who's now deceased, but he was a neuroanatomist at a dental school, Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville, And he also was the proctor for the growth anatomy lab. And because he was sort of the default parent, the one that takes the kids to all the appointments, we ended up at work with him a lot, especially in the summer. And that included back when it was allowed. It's no longer allowed, so I hear. But running around in the growth lab while the dental students were cutting on their cadavers. And I was doing that since I was, you know, three, four years old, all the way through probably middle school. It was a little bit of an unusual way to grow up. He used to bring home weird things all the time because he taught nursing students. So he would bring home brains and eyeballs. And he also was the cool dad at the career day at school. He brought like a whole skeleton to kindergarten. Yeah, I bet that you don't know anybody who ever received a perfect human skull as a gift at Christmas. Oh, you wow. Know me. Wow. <laughs> Tell us wow. about the source of the yeah, skull. That's, that's he, like a very unique Christmas morning. Right? Yeah. And I can I can even show it to you. It's oh, right my. here. Oh, yes. It's on my desk. Yeah. I was just about it's, to ask, uh, what do you do with it? Oh, I just display it proudly in my office. Yeah, that, that is a very cool. nice skull. Yeah, it is. It's 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 pretty nice. It's um it's you know one of the one of the companies that sell those things. He had a gorilla and a cat. He just decided during med school that every daughter needs a perfect human skull. It's not a manufactured skull. No, it's a real actual human skull. Wow, how did he get that? <laughs> you can buy that. Right? And... Didn't yeah. Know. What a strange and disturbing I know. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> like I'm uh, actually now realizing that I never really questioned it or looked into it. So uh... <laughs> So I will be, I know what I'll be doing this evening while I watch 90 Day Fiance. Did you identify any unique markings? It's really pretty unremarkable in its symmetry. And it's just really, it's even got perfect teeth. It's really amazing. Yeah. It's only missing the styloid processes. Wow. Those are delicate. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And the weirdest thing he had, this was really super weird. He had a entire head that was quartered so that you could see all the layers down oh, wow. into it. To 
that was, you know, fit, you know, it's okay. formal and fixed basically. And he put it in a bowling bag because he was just that weird. Mm. So fascinating. Yeah. But I feel like, yeah, but that would be heavy and it's similar in shape and size. Well, to yeah, the no, it was like that's a perfect. A, I mean, that sounds very carrying case for such a that thing. That sounds very practical yeah. to me. I made it as a skull carrying bag and just so happened bowlers started saying, let's put our bowling ball into this. Bag. You know, it might have happened I that way. Exactly I mean, right. chicken egg situation yeah they, those seem equally likely christina <laughs> that someone might need to travel with a human you know, head in my world in my world that just might have happened <laughs> I know. The, the things that happen when you spend a lot of time in medical education right you get a bit of a skewed perspective on what normal humans might need Definitely. so what did your sister wind up doing or my brother or brother i have a brother he is a chef he is a chef that's way into molecular gastronomy and in cool. San Antonio. Awesome. Yeah. He probably has some amazing knife skills, I'll bet. <laughs> yes, he does, actually. Oh, <laughs> yes. Wow. He's very talented. Wow. He that could produce so those cool. skulls for you. You needed it, exactly. <laughs> and some you hair. To refresh bone. The collection. Yeah, and there you go. Yeah, it's yep, all kinds of different bone. things. I'm nice. sure he could get us anything we need. What happened to your dad's collection? When he retired, he gave all of that to his replacement. His own personal skull collection he kept, and that was actually super popular at the estate sale after he passed away. I don't know if that's super weird or super cool or what. Did you say what your mom did? She worked for the federal government as an organizational psychologist and had high security clearance stuff, so we weren't, weren't allowed to go to work with her, oh, um, which yeah. is why my dad had to <laughs> tote us around. So yeah, she she had a pretty cool job too. I have to ask you, aside from sourcing the best memes for our Facebook groups in response to every possible scenario, <laughs> and you always have the best memes, what do you like to do in your free time? Sarah and I share our love of craft. I, I, am, I love to do any kind of craft anything, especially needlework. So cross-stitch and other kinds of needlework are my most favorite craft, but I also like to do puzzles and I'm a big TV uh, person too. I wish I was into things like exercise, but that's... <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. Boring. Yeah. boring. Oh, you know, we can I've always never say had that. an endorphin in my life, so... Oh, yeah. Podcast. We always say that this podcast is not for medical advice. No. And me saying that I hate exercise with the fire and passion of a thousand suns is not medical <laughs> advice. That yeah. is an opinion. <laughs> Terrible. And it's really hard to knit or cross stitch when you're on an elliptical. Mm. I, I tried that once. Yeah. Not, again, really? not, medi- not medical advice. Don't okay. do it. Don't do it. Very hazardous. You really should wear goggles. You should definitely wear goggles. I was like, maybe I can do it on the recumbent bike, but then, you know, it's like wooly and you're hot. Eh, just dump, yeah. dump, dump. Learn from my mistakes. Learn from my mistakes. Okay. <laughs> Don't do what I do. All right. Well, Dr. Herdman, are you ready to play our bluff the guest game? I am. In this game, we are going to enlist the help of our medical student and resident guests to help stump Dr. Herdman. So each of our other guests will tell two truths and one lie uh, about their own lives or pathology. And Dr. Herdman will try to guess which is the lie. And if she gets enough right, she will also win her own very special limited edition semi-handcrafted PathPod ruler. All right. (laughs) So first up, Otto, are you ready to try to stump Dr. Herdman? 
My undergraduate background is in medical history, so these are all medical history facts. So one, the surgeon Robert Liston once performed a surgery with a 300% mortality rate. Two, the Mallory-Weiss syndrome and the Mallory body are both named for American pathologist Frank Burr Mallory. And three, Joseph Goldberger, the United States Public Health Service officer, played a critical role in elucidating the etiology of pellagra, was married to a relative of former Confederate President Jefferson Davis. Oh my gosh, that is a lot. I feel like all of them could be true or all of them could be false. Wow. Did you say a 300% mortality rate? That's correct. That can't be. Is that even possible? I that feel like feels that, excessive to me. Does that kill like two additional people? I, I in feel like, do you kill like a nurse with that? Yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued. I, yeah, I'm I really, I mean, so either way, I need to hear about that, whether it's true or false. It's like um, a knife on this thing. The last knife Okay, I'm going to go with C as the falsehood. The false one was number two. Uh, just because if you look at the early history of American pathology, it's a lot of like families who do similar work and work for each other. Mm-hmm. So actually, Mallory Weiss tears are named for George Kenneth Mallory, whereas the Mallory body is named for Frank Burr Mallory, who was his dad. Both of Frank Burr Mallory's sons became pathologists, one at MGH and one at the Boston Medical Center. George Kenneth Mallory worked with Weiss to figure out Mallory Weiss tears, and then their dad because the one Mallory body was named for and did a bunch of other stuff, standardizing staining. And uh, with the 300% wow. mortality rate surgery, also true. So basically Robert Liston's catchphrase was time me, gentlemen, time me, because he was known as one of the fastest surgeons of his era. He was performing a leg <laughs> amputation on a patient. When he brought down his knife, he was really focused on just being fast. So he cut off two of his assistant's fingers uh, along with the patient's leg. And then he swung the knife back up which cut the coattails of someone watching the surgery who then had a heart attack and died. Holy yeah. cow. Oh, okay. Boy. What wow. did those surgeons wow. do after that? The surgeons wow. who had their fingers amputated. I mean, he know? died. The assistant the fi- died. The okay. spectator died. The patient died. I don't How know. Do you, I don't, why don't you die from getting your fingers like the amputated? the worst M&M conference he ever, He got right? super angry. <laughs> he didn't die immediately, but he got a significant... Oh, got it. Oh, my God. Sense. Yeah. That's the guy bad. I'm surprised with is the, is the spectator because he... Clearly seem just have died from fear. I'm unclear on exactly his age <laughs> and other comorbidities. So 300%. Wow. So okay. normally in a yeah. surgery, if the patient had died, it would be 100% mortality. <laughs> but it's 300% because in the same operation, three people died. Wow. That's, uh, although wow. one was obviously post-surgical complications with the gangrene. But still, it, yeah. it's somewhat else. Uh, Do you know anything of the fastest surgery that he timed himself? Do you have any like numbers? He averaged like 15 minutes per amputation. Yeah, no, I mean like you know how they always say in medicine, first get good, then get fast. Like he's why (laughs) they say that now. First get good, then get fast. Speed is not everything. Oh my gosh. Wow. wow. That's incredible. And then with the third one with the, the Joseph Goldberger, his wife was actually the grandniece of Jefferson Davis, which is pretty interesting because Joseph Goldberger's parents were Jewish immigrants from Hungary who opened a grocery store oh, wow. in New York. And then he went to the South. He was assigned to the South to deal with pellagra, which is severe niacin deficiency. Mm. Uh, the four Ds of niacin deficiency, so like dementia, dermatitis, diarrhea, and death. And so when he was down there, they just met and his parents were like, we hate this. And her parents were like, we super hate this. So they're like, no, we're just going to, we're going to get married. 
going to be great. <laughs> and she was act- and she's actually a really supportive. At that time, they thought that pellagra was not a nutritional deficiency, but due to an infectious cause. So they had what was called filth parties. So they inject infected people's blood. They would consume small amounts of infected people's stool just to prove that every way you can think of being infected, we're going to do that and prove it's not infectious. And they did that, but her specification was that if you're going to do that yourself, anything you do to yourself, I'm going to do to myself too, because that's how our marriage works. So she was really on board with that. She was pretty impressive. Perfect couple. Wow. To prove it on the other side, they did like nutritional studies. So they like went to orphanages and jails and gave people better diets and they saw the rate go down. But the main reason, and I find this interesting that people were really pushing the pellagra as infection theory is that basically meant they couldn't blame the reconstruction and Jim Crow South because they're like, oh no, this just occurs more in like poor sharecroppers because that's how the virus is. But he's like, no, the system is really bad and the food they can afford is really low Mm. and nice. And and so like they can't. And so he could never figure out- Fascinating. He could never figure out like, he didn't find nice and he was just like, if I improve Mm. the diet, I solve pellagra. Another group of people did that. So he was actually nominated for the Nobel Prize five times. Unfortunately, passed away from cancer before he could win, and you can't give posthumous Nobel mm-hmm. prizes. So they, yeah. So then his ashes got scattered in the Potomac, and there's a portrait of him in the NIH. The first thing I ever got published was like a biography of Joseph Goldberger. So I get excited. How wonderful! That is, that is fascinating. fascinating. That's- you guys like listen to the Nocturnist, but someone was talking about coming across his notebooks from medical school and how he all- happened to get all the baby autopsies, and they think that might be why he didn't end up become a pathologist long term. Oh, that was that was so fascinating. I Those were awesome. More. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Ooh, okay. Mm. All right, Dr. Klugaus, it's your turn to try to stump Dr. Herdman. All right. So and I'm not doing know, well, so help me out. <laughs> these are more about me, so it should be should be pretty easy. So pre-COVID, I've traveled to seven different countries. And I had mm-hmm. planned another one, but you know, quarantines and lockdowns kind of upset that. I've had art on display in New York at a gallery, and then I enjoy scuba, and I have dove dove at the Great Barrier Reef. Hmm. Well, all of those things are very, very awesome. So even if one of them is not true, that makes you awesome. Let's see. I really hope you've had art on display in New York City, so I'm going to leave that one in. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with the seven different countries. I bet you've been to a different number of countries than that. No, I I have so far only been to seven, but my plan, I I do scuba dive, but I have not dove at the Great Barrier Reef. It was one of the trips that I had planned for myself. That's one of my dreams too. I was getting really jealous. (laughs) Yeah, I got to do it soon before the reef disappears. (laughs) Tell us about this New York City art, please. Yeah, I would love to hear about that, too. Uh, So this was, uh, I guess, early college. The Salmagundi Art uh, Group does a non-members gallery display. And so you can submit, I think, up to like four or five photos to it. And if you're lucky, they select one. And then you get to put it all together and ship it up to them. And you're on display for a few Mm. weeks. What did you have? This one, it was actually when I was in Paris at the Opera House. It was a picture of a 
chandelier up towards the ceiling, not like the famous chandelier, but <laughs> it was one of the chandeliers in the opera house. Just kind of a cool perspective of it. And they wow. liked it. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Congratulations. You know, in an amazing turn of events, Dr. Herdman has gotten enough fright to still win her Ooh. own limited edition. <laughs> she Clear Well, it is t that time of the game where it's uh, Christina and my turn to have the tables turned on us. And I think Dr. Herden has been kind enough to bring some games with which to stump us. The first thing I would like to talk about today is bile. Oh. You know, we all need it. We all secrete it, hopefully. <laughs> we all excrete it. So let's talk about it. Which of the following is false? A, the human body secretes 100 to 300 milliliters of bile per day. B, a surgeon in India holds the current Guinness World Record for gallstones, and that number is 11,950 stones. Or C, bile is commonly used as a cooking ingredient in Southeast Asian cuisine and imparts a very bitter taste. I know I have seen bile at the grocery store, so I think that could be a cooking ingredient. Does that mean someone counted that? Because my immediate thought yeah. was, who Good is question. sitting there mm -hmm. and counting these gallstones? Presumably that's someone. A, that's an exact number. Exactly. That's so a very exact number. That makes me think B is... Oh, it's, it's the, the med student. <laughs> so you mean the from one gallbladder? Oh, oh it's yeah. from one gallbladder. Actually, that's more likely than wow. if he had counted every single gallstone he'd ever removed. Because, yeah. geez, Louise, that's a lot of wasted thousand. effort. That'd be dedication. That'd be dedication. I feel like one to three hundred milliliters of bile per day could be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems very plausible. I, I definitely agree. C, I think, is true. Between A and B, so I'll do go do. Adil or Sarah, do either of you have some knowledge oh, to impart? Yes. I see oh, Adil yes. over there tenting his fingers as if he, he knows something that we don't. No, I just had a vague recollection of B being true, but I have no basis for it. Like, <laughs> That's true. He might know. You're the medical, historian. medical yeah. historian. Yeah. So I think we so, should go with A. Okay, let's go with A. It? I like A. I like A. We're A, final answer. Final answer. And you win. Yeah. You win. Because... Oh, no. The human body actually produces between 400 and 800 milliliters of bile daily. Mm. Wow. Mm. I, wow. Feel yes. I feel it. A lot of bile. A lot of bile. All right. Are you guys ready for yes. three truths and one lie? Let's oh, do it. Oh, man. Yes. Let's do it. I'm going to know. Extra. Yeah. Extra. All right. Which of the following is a lie? Number one, I have episodic gastroparesis and it's related to fatty food, and I've had it my whole life, and once I vomited, mostly through my nose, which is known as vomiting, by the way, in case you weren't right? aware. How do you spell that? I want to know. It's V-O-M-I-C-K-I-N-G. I learned that from my ER colleague. Vomiting. I love it. Vomiting. So I once vomicked right at the table, during the group dinner for an attending job interview that uh, I had, and I did not get that job. Mm. Number two, wow. in the sixth grade, 
in the sixth grade, I had an appendiceal rupture that smoldered for 10 days before my parents took me for medical attention, mostly because they did not believe that I was really in the pain that I said that I was, Mm. mostly because the school nurse had dismissed me and my pain, and therefore it couldn't be real. Number three, I once had a photo of myself go incredibly viral, like in the global kind of way, after I attended the 2017 March for Science, and I was on the front page of most major and many minor newspapers in the United States and around the world. And number four, in medical school, I had a job with the body pickup service two weekends a month, which included retrieving bodies from crime scenes for the medical examiner's office. For a fact that three is true because I have seen this photo. Anyway, but so both the first two stories sound awful. I would really like to say that number two was false and that the school nurse dismissed you, but that your parents listened to you. Although I am aware that just because you have parents who are in the medical field does not mean that you will get the right diagnosis. I know this through stories Um, because medical parents sometimes (laughs) dismiss symptoms more lightly than your average parent. And I have seen that in that. my friends. I think knowing vomiting is sort of like, that seems like you must have had that experience to know the word vomiting. So I go with you. I'm going with you on two is the lie. When you win, that is the lie. Oh, yeah. Great. I was playing kickball in school at recess and I broke my foot. Could not wait bear. I vomited, not vomicked, but I vomited from the pain. Had to hop to the school nurse. I could literally could not bear weight. It was swollen up four times the size. Couldn't get my shoe back on. And she said that I was just being, you know, I was being dramatic. Sent me back to class. I had to hop back to class, hop onto the bus, the whole deal. And so because of that. I walked around on a broken foot for one month. I'm wondering all if you the had years an of my amazing life. Christmas that year. Like was that the Christmas life. you got the we're skull? We're going to make it up to you. Like, we're going to make it up to you. You are getting a human skull for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that is, yes, that year I received a human skull. No, <laughs> that is and it happened exactly to be your right. nurses. Was it your nurses? Oh, my. Yes. Oh. <laughs> skull arrived under the tree. <laughs> you saw some trauma to the back of the head, right? <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Also, the body pickups twice yes. a month. So that's yes. true. Yeah. So I was really into forensic path, like big time. Like thought that's what I was going to do and did about four months of rotations with them and research with them and everything and ended up because I was just so weird and like into the like the crime novel kind of suspense novel kind of girl. I was like, the crime scenes are the best part. So how do I stay in that? So I found a way to stay in it. And I would take call like Friday night through Sunday evening, two times a month for like almost no money. And it was really not something I should have been doing because like some of those bodies are heavy Mm. and you end up in places where you can't roll a gurney. Um, How long did you you do this? 
oh, about two years. Oh Thank you gosh. so much. That, that was so incredible. fascinating. I feel like I've learned so much oh. and about <laughs> bile of all things. And yeah, well, we are unfortunately at the end of our time. So I'd like to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to our wonderful guests. You all have been absolutely amazing. I'm always amazed at the enthusiasm and stories and facts that you all bring and I'm really really thrilled to have you all as colleagues in the field thanks everyone thanks and, everyone uh, yeah thanks for being thanks. a part of the show and stay safe out there time. bye everybody bye. Bye. bye join us next time to see who will win the limited edition PathPod ruler who will measure up and who will clearly be the envy of their friends and enemies and who will wear fishnet stockings? Support for the Free PathPod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod. Wicked Tuna is an Mm. awesome nickname for anyone. (laughs) Wicked Tuna.